you're listening to the Surgeons of Horror podcast. Hello, welcome to Surgeons of Horror. I'm your host, Saul Muerte, about to delve into another classic cult film that is called Sleepaway Camp. Those of you that stuck around for our previous podcast will know that we were able to chat with the great, great Felissa Rose to uh, reminisce over this film and also have a chat about her latest feature film called Camp Twilight. So if you haven't heard that, quickly pause the button, go check it out because it might be something to listen to or go and just listen to it after the fact. Um, This one uh, that we're going to be talking about, as I said, was a cult classic in the making, very kind of low budget film that was actually made for the uh, simple sum of $350,000. It went on to make $11 million at the box office. Massive, massive, massive take up. And a lot of that, as I spoke to with Felissa, was riding on the back of obviously Friday the 13th, which reignited the whole kind of slasher craze that came out uh, around that time. And a lot of kind of people that lifted off that, basically teenagers getting slaughtered left, right and center. This one doesn't shy away from that comparison, um, but also throws in the mix of it being um, at a campsite as well, uh, which is exactly like Crystal Lake, as you as eager listeners of horror films would know. Before we start dissecting and discussing this one and kind of assess whether or not we believe that the cult status is genuine or not, what do we think modern horror and horror films lovers will think of this film, I should introduce you to uh, my colleague, who is none other than Mr. Richard Lovegrove. Welcome aboard, sir. Hello, good sir. Good to see you again. Good uh, to be camping away. Camping away. Good to have you on board. Carry on camping. <laughs> oh, um, Ooh, oh, I know. Oh, yes. Very <laughs> um, <Me> true. <laughs> carry on camp, camping with Jason. Um, yes. Or, or in this case, Angela. Um, Angela. So look, yeah, this, as I said, was a big, big uh, cult, cult film when it kind of, well, not when it first came out, but gained a cult following after the fact. I should probably mention too that it has also um, had three sequels following this film, which was uh, mm. Sleepaway, Sleepaway Camp 2, Unhappy Campers, and Sleepaway Camp 3, which was called Teenage Wasteland. Neither of those two films actually featured... Lisa Rose, who took on the title of um, Angela, the uh, mm. serial killer in, in the in the previous film and in the franchise. But here's the thing: it was uh, it did star Pamela Springsteen in that role, and uh, that name, if it rings a bell, more so the surname rings a bell. That's because yes, she is in fact the sister of Mr. Bruce the Boss Springsteen. Um, and it's uh, Bruce Springsteen's tortoise. <laughs> it is. It's his tortoise. Um, his tortoise. It's like a, the tales of fourth grade. Nothing at band camp. Um, <laughs> so, um, but but here's the thing. Um, and the, both films are, are kind of a, they're very different to. The, and this is the thing. Like mm. it's hard not to talk about the original Sleepaway Camp without the the big ending, which. Um, if you haven't seen it, you should probably turn off when we get to that point when we discuss it because it is a big kind of uh, big yeah. revealment. 
Heavy but we spoilers. Will, but we, the good thing about this film is you shouldn't go look at anything before you watch it. Just no. watch it going. It's called Sleepaway Camp. That's all yeah. you should know. Yeah, just go go watch it. And mm. uh, and then kind of and then come back um, when we when we talk about the reward. Yeah, and then come back. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do that. And do subscribe. that. Um, but um Felicia Rose did come back to uh reprise her role as Angela in Return to Sleepaway Camp, which was released in two thousand and eight. So the full film in that franchise and also uh coming back would be the director of this movie robert hiltzik um to direct that mm. film as well excuse me you're I'm, I'm a hiccup in a way um don't die Fram. don't die not yet anyway <laughs> no i was um, gonna say I, yeah. I i watched the first film and in and then i i saw the second film and that's when i stopped <laughs> because, again, it reminded me so much of of a Hellraiser in the way of going. The second film is, ah. is completely removed. You've yeah. just got one facet, which is the slashy stuff, and I don't know. Yeah. Nothing really had substance for me in in the second film. Um, whereas the first one was a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, and it's a, well, it's a different feel too. Like, and that was the thing. Like, and it's hard. Mm. Part part of its uh, sleepaway camp. Um, I guess magnetism is the quirky nature of it. It's a very off kilter film and you can't get much more off kilter than the Martha character that's in it, Aunt Martha, um, which we will get to as well when we talk about her. Um, yeah. But, but it's, it's, and that's the thing it's, 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 it's slightly off to one side and it, and it jars a little bit as you watch it, but that's part of its appeal along with the fact that there's this natural element to it as well. Like there's a, mm. there's a, like a 10 minute baseball scene in this film, which a lot of people have kind of um, slammed the director for saying it's so goddamn long. Why is that long? Um, yeah. Why is I, it- <laughs> I didn't find it that long. It's like in that scene, especially it has, I think my favorite line in a film I've seen to date, which is eat shit and die, eat shit and live bill. and that delivery is great (laughs) yeah well another thing too being it's so poignant because it's a slasher flick at a summer camp which for the first time in its cinematography in history it's got like kids actually playing kids rather than 30 year olds playing 15 year olds and obviously i don't think you could do that now as in it would not this same film definitely um because of a lot of the inco- the connotations and stuff like that. But because they are kids, it's funny, I never really questioned it until after it. And I saw a couple of interviews where they were saying, yeah, it's the first time it was kids. And I was like, oh, of course, they're all this age. Um, but they're all just, all of the things are justified. And so when you have the, um, the moment at the beginning where you have that off kilter aunt, yeah. that sort of throws you off and you're going, oh, okay, but that's just one little bit of information. Like in a Star Trek episode, you get like, you know, something in the beginning of a season and then you go, oh, they've come back. <laughs> It's a, I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know why I'm slightly uh, rem- remembering this, but there was a film um, that came out in early 2000s and it was called Camp. And it was an American musical comedy drama. Um, and um, it, it's, it was, it's, it kind of was like this, again, real, how it felt real low budget. It got a, kind of a lot of attention on the festival circuits. But um, the reason I mention it is because similarly it was it was a bunch of kids and it had this kind of real natural element to it because you're just kind of filming kids in the, in their in their natural elements I guess and just yeah. being themselves and this is what this film the did the natural habitat the natural habitat of young today 
Um, Children running wild, causing havoc. Ah, bless them. And yeah, but that kind of reminds me, and I'm just uh, trying to remember the the guy's name who plays, oh, Jonathan Tearson, who plays um, Ricky, the cousin Mm. in this. Um, And he, if you you catch the guy, I basically watched the movie off the Shout Factory uh, Blu-ray and there's a couple of extras on there and chats to the uh, to the cast members and the directors and stuff about the making of the film. Mm. But uh, he he kind of talks in there and said that that was what he loved about the script when he first got the script is just like the language just felt real, like, you know, and yeah. how, how kids would talk. And he said something about going into the audition process and he, there was a few kind of swears or stuff that, uh, and and the director was just like, I just want you to just let go. Just kind of, I don't care what you say. I just want you to kind of let let go. And he just said he was just going. He just let it go. And just and you know, just every f bomb under the sun and everything in between. And um and then he he walked out the uh of the audition and he's just like, yeah, I think I nailed that one. <laughs> like, and he did yeah. got the part. So um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah oh. pretty cool. It's great, but it's also too, um, it's great that a director has that sort of approach to it because a lot of the time you'll work with directors who purely approach it from a, a technical perspective where it's all about the shot and communicating the story through that. And they have don't have the experience to necessarily communicate to the actors, okay, this yep. is what we're, what we're shooting now and, and where your head's got to be at. And so <laughs> to be able to write dialogue alone for, for adults is hard, like, you know, to, and then to be able to go, oh, great, this is how kids sound. I mean, it, it, was, it does, it sounds like it's off the cuff. And I don't even know if that line at the baseball game was an ad lib because it sounds like it's off the cuff. Like yeah, that. yeah. Um, I, I'm, most, I, I'm not sure about the uh, how script heavy it was i know that i i think mm. i'm pretty sure and I, I correct me if i'm wrong listeners out there but i'm pretty sure i remember in the documentary that the director kind of gave a bit of free license around some of that especially around the baseball game and things like that that kind of free yeah free language Seems that would. yeah um all right so look let's um oh no before i ask you uh before we delve into and dissect this baby um before we go to camp before we go to camp we should probably ask you if you've been to camp before um oh. and seen this on or is this are you a, a virgin to the sleepaway camp yeah no well i'd never seen sleepaway camp i had no idea about it surprised that i had never heard it or seen anything about it but okay. usually am when i see these things um yeah no from a camp perspective no i'm, I'm definitely not a camp person i don't like going to camp <laughs> um, <laughs> i remember going to the great aussie bush camp which is uh, near a, a reconstruction of uh uluru uh, the oh um, right okay yeah yeah site and that's out west New South Wales. Um, but yeah, no, uh, yeah. Not, not a fan <laughs> of having to walk to a shower with thongs on because you might get tinea from somebody else. Um, <laughs> but having said that, uh, I have seen, like, you know, obviously the um, Friday uh, the 13th and, and, yep. and situations like this. Um, there was, uh, I remember seeing, uh, getting very into fr- um, the Freddy Krueger films at yep. the point at which they had the crossover film. And that was yes. where I have most memories of that camp environment but obviously yeah, yeah. um homage to it all so seeing this it made me just go oh this is really natural i'm not i, I it's because you were saying it's, it's an off kilter thing i felt like it was ah. i was on board from the get-go because of that quirkiness at the beginning and everything feeling so comfortable at camp yeah i was happy with people getting picked off i was surprised at some of the things that happened and yes. it's and it's quick severity but i knew it was going to be a horror slasher flick so 
I guess maybe that was part of the psychology that was going on. <laughs> possibly, um, possibly. Yeah. I mean, there are some kind of cool little moments too. And I think that that's what lifts it up too, because like you have like the, as, as we said, these natural kind of elements at play, like this coming of age kind of stuff that's going on. Um, yeah. And this uh, search of identity, which is like the core kind of uh, theme that's coming, running through this film. But then, you know, in, intermixed with these kind of like uh, big brutal kills or, that happen or all these really bizarre death scenes that occur as well. Um, yeah, yeah. So, and practical effects wise even, like, you know, one of the first deaths has like some very impressive effects that like I, I went back and watched and because it's now high definition, you can see a lot closer and, and see things moving. Like even with the original Evil Dead, they did a... Um, uh, a re-release where they had edited out some of the um, problems in the footage. There was some an actor standing in the background when they're driving up the bridge at the beginning and oh, they right. doctored him out. And then there was an, a cable during one of the scenes where all of the stuff's coming out of her face. <laughs> and I was <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. but but it, it just looks like another vein or something. I never, yeah. I, even when they you show them side by side, I still can't see the difference. <laughs> like, but um, nice. so yeah. Um, uh, even with those sort of things, it's it's the sort of thing of going with films like this. You don't want them to take too much liberty um, with the practical effects um, yeah. because there's a certain budget and stuff. But even with the budget that they had, they knew how to work with it. It's the same as when you look at Tom Savini. They can work with uh, the nose putty and stuff like that to make yes. the bullet come out like and cheap. Like you know, it only costs the nickel or whatever it is. That <laughs> yeah, they yeah, 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 yeah. You know? um, and so yeah, and, and and sparingly too. Whereas most. Some slasher flicks really play on the gore. Like I recently looked at the um, the Exorcist, and when you were talking about mm-hmm. the subject matter, this film yeah. um, could go furthermore into the whole coming of age, puberty, and and yes. uh, like you know a, a abuse sort of nature, which was where I was looking at it from um, the Exorcist, because there was the question of whether it. W- Obviously, you go through the the science and stuff, but the only thing that they don't question is whether it was sexual abuse. And there's yeah. certain insinuations in the plot of the film not the book, but the film that insinuate that the director that the mother is working with may have yeah. molested her at some yes. point, because even with her head turning around and then saying, did you know what she did? Your cunting daughter. And, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. and that's in his voice. And yes, he also, right. his voice is heard beforehand um, before the first major incident with the things flying around the room. That's right. And that's right. That. So yeah. Um, whether or not that was an intention of either the director um, and not the writer, because in the, the um, book there are um, there is a justification in which the demon acts as him, the man who died or potentially molested them, and says that he went into the room after he heard moaning, and then Reagan accused him of breaking up her parents and yep. then throwing him or breaking his neck and throwing him out the window, killing him. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. But that's in the book, not in the movie. And I, I'm a big believer that medium is it's independent like you know even though you you shouldn't have to have read harry potter to go who is this or why do i have an emotional connection to character yes. in film yeah you know? yeah um and, and that's what yeah this film does really well because even from that beginning you've got enough questions that lead you down a roll of going cool I'm, I'm happy to not know all the answers especially with the main character not speaking that's enough intrigue alone because mm-hmm. we're happy to go there's either a a big incident a post-traumatic stress moment that's cause this even watching the boys that's part of one of the characters yeah 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 he refuses to speak because of of the stress that she went through as a child yeah um so yeah um so many elements too and and that because they're not touched on too um and it keeps that more slasher flick vibe it allows the audience to paint that picture yes um, yeah 
Because even from the first scene, I remember starting it off and I was watching all the characters and reading way into that first scene. (laughs) Oh, who is this person? Like, you know? Yeah, Um, yeah. Who's the killer? It's the boat. They did it. The boat. I blame the boat. Um, It's always the water. Yeah, it's always comes out of the water. The yeah, well, like so. Speaking of then, so let's let's start looking at at the film because in the opening credits, the first thing we actually see is is a closed down summer camp, and it's looking like it's uh, full, and we see a sign that says Camp Arawak. Mm. Before then, we uh, open up the film proper, and it's we're told that it's the summer of nineteen seventy five, and we see a family uh, consisting of a dad, which we. It's never really said in here, but he's a divorcee. Uh, his name's John Baker. And he's with his two children, Angela and Peter, out on a lake near a summer camp in upstate New York. And they are quite happily, they're in, yeah, sitting on a old catamaran kind of thing, basically, like a little boat. And there's another kid who is uh, taking um, a young girl out on a boat, he's and the kid in question is uh, one of their camp um, counselors, and uh, there's another girl that's uh, on a set of water skis being towed along behind them, and the girl that's in the boat it keeps pushing the, the kid to kind of let her basically drive the boat, and he eventually gives in and says, "Yeah, all right, fine," and of course that's when everything goes wrong. Um, mm. The kids um, are swimming in the pool, and uh, not in the pool, in the lake. And the girl that notices first is the girl that's water skiing, which you think that's pretty impressive. Um, all that she, way back. Yeah, yeah. yeah Having yeah, said that, the yeah, second that you do see her, she's always stressed from the very beginning. She's, she's, she's not comfortable. No, no, <laughs> she, she doesn't want to be out there. She's she yeah. she's she she's literally like the the uh, the, the third wheel. Um, in this in this kind of <laughs> scenario, it's like Goodbye. yeah, yeah, like you you're on the skis. I'm gonna try and hit off with this girl. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, but yeah, she sees, and obviously, um, it's all too late. The boat kind of careers towards uh, the catamaran, flipping it over, and indicating that uh, the dad is instantly killed. And we see uh, one. Uh, life jacket float past so indicating that one of the kids has been killed um, mm. but there's this great great moment where there's this bloke who's watching it all unfold and I'm going to play the clip now it's only three seconds but I just love it so much um, but at that moment it's like but like well, who is this guy um, how does yeah. he know how does he know John um, you know, it's like, and why is he is slightly it, apathetic? <laughs> is that, is that why John was divorced? Uh, was he having a relationship well, with this guy? Um, yeah, <laughs> who knows? Well, also too, I like, I swear, I'm just trying to scrub through the footage now, but I swear too, when we see the one of the, um, uh, I, I got the insinuation that like the father and one of the children, we didn't know which one was killed. Yes. Um, that's correct. sort of yeah. instantly or, or something like that. But yeah, it's, it's, it's such a random reaction thing. We're just turning around going, John. 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 Oh, wait. John. <laughs> yeah. Jason. John. Oh, wait. No, that's, yeah, I'm, I'm that's not John. That's well. Dave. Sorry. Sorry, I thought it was John. It's Dave. Sorry. No, Sorry, yeah. Go back to dying. Okay. Sorry yeah. about that. Um, the word Arawak as well um, yes. is a, it, it's a language um, from the indigenous um, Caribbean island. Um, uh, uh-huh. Yeah. 
it's uh, like literally the only like language apparently that's left over from um, a South American tribe from the Caribbean, the Lacono population. Wow. Okay. So what what's the director saying there? I wonder. <laughs> I'm not too sure because sometimes, yeah, like I read too much into things and yeah, like, yeah. I, I just um, found out what the term axiom was, uh, which is pretty much an assumption as in without like, you know, it's the most likely thing to happen. Yes. Um, but without actual evidence, it's the most likely thing to happen. Um, yeah. So the, the ship in, um, what was it? Uh, Wall-E was called the axiom. So oh. I like that. It was called, it's the assumption. I really like that. <laughs> nice. <Yeah. laughs> it's really cool. Uh, yeah, no, that's good cool. old etymology. Cool. Yeah, I was so going to say as well. I found um, Sleepaway Camp on YouTube of all places. Yeah, which is uh, great. Uh, the, the entire, <laughs> it's amazing what gets flagged and what doesn't get flagged in this thing. But yeah, after that fantastic, great scene, we move on to I don't know one of the most fun scenes that really just reminds me of Drop Dead Fred. Ah, yeah, must be so oh, much I Drop get Dead it. Fred. So much. I so yeah. much get what you're meaning. Um, <laughs> it's a it's a really interesting scene. Um, hmm. Oh, hold on. I, I'm I'm just reading. Okay, sorry. Just going double back for a second. Hmm. I was kind of half joking about the uh, the the lover uh, of John, but yeah, I was about to say somebody um, <laughs> spoilers. Somebody, yeah, somebody has but somebody has written uh, a synopsis here hmm. saying. Um, after the small boat accidentally flips, John and the children begin to head ashore where John's lover, Lenny, is calling to him. Mm. As and in, I, yeah. I wouldn't I, say this early in a synopsis, that, but um, but in the end, we, it's definitely an insinuation. Yeah. Um, uh, when she has flashbacks, when... Um, yep, that's right. Her name. Angela. Angela, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Angel. So, yeah. So, um, so, yeah, so anyway, so... Interesting, I just, just from an etymology about. point of view as well, um, yeah, uh, and Angela or it comes from Angel um, etymologically and uh, Richard, which is Ricky, comes from uh, yeah. Hard Rule. Yeah. So, ah, yeah, there you go. That's what their names Man, pull out, pulling out the facts today there, Mr. Lovegrove. Um, <laughs> I wish more. Um, yeah, so... so let yeah, so let's go to what you were you were saying anyway. Sorry. So we are presented with the survivor, um, Angela, who is sent to live with her eccentric aunt, Doctor mm. Martha Thomas. Yeah, Doctor just dropped in there. Yeah, I uh, love that. <laughs> which uh, an eccentric is is and then some um, because she is absolutely out there, crazy mm. character, and. Played by um, Desiree Gold, uh, who um, was known for a lot of her kind of TV TV stuff mainly on screen, um, and I'm just trying to think of one off the top of my head. Um, a lot of soap, like basically soap operas, like The Edge of Night and All My Children and things like that. Um, so knowing, like, known to kind of really ham up stuff. Anyway, is my point, mm. and. Um, yeah, so she uh, is incredibly eccentric, in it. and in the extras of uh, the uh, Blu-ray that I have, she there's a, a, a bit of a short interview with her, and she made a comment on the dialogue of the script, um, going, uh, turning to uh, the director and saying, "I can't read this. This is like this is 
how how does how do you even go about presenting the words in it? And he was just like, you just say what's written. Um, and so she kind of went went with it, and that's where this kind of weird mm. kind of behavior comes across because it's yeah, it's it's, it's well, almost like she's uh, it's demonstrating. <laughs> yeah, like, this is the emotion I'm supposed to be doing. This is contemplation. Yeah, it really is. It's like this over overly played kind of, uh, but still like subtle. I mean, it's uh, I, I would say this is an eccentric character, definitely, but it's not necessarily overly played, and that's what I quite liked about it because I I had no idea, but was so intrigued with what her character had to do with this story at this point. <laughs> um, and and yeah. I just noticed as well she has um, like a ribbon tied around her finger to keep to remind her of something. Ah. Uh, Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, and she, but she can't remember what it is. Yeah, Isn't that right. Like she goes, I've I just got to remember so. why I've tied that around my finger now. Um, yeah, which is good. Yeah, all these <laughs> little drops in there as well, and and even the drop of um, because she's a doctor, she's able to um, have done their physicals, so yes. she's able to give them the reports, which apparently must be a thing for going to camp, saying that you're healthy, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. you can just do that. Self-confessed. Yeah. Yeah, which is weird because, like, I don't know, in Australia, you can go to camp and get ticks. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's it. Um, okay, so we are presented with uh, a couple of young kids. Uh, we have Angela, who essentially is 14, but I thought she was 13 in, in the script. Um mm. And she's with her cousin, um, Ricky, who I mentioned played by Jonathan Tisson, who's a little bit older. Uh, And they are actually sent to uh, Camp Arawak by Martha, who reminds them not to tell anyone how they got their their signatures for their physical exams. Um, Yeah. Which is sus in itself. Mm. Um, And so the the buses arrive at the camp, and uh, this is when we start meeting some of the other characters in the mm. uh, of the camp, so there's a kid called Artie. Um, uh, there's a this creepy cook, <laughs> uh, yeah, character. yeah, from um, the get go. I mean, yeah, that was, yeah, played by it, uh, it was one of those things where it was going, Well, he's obviously going to be the first to die, otherwise, I hate this film, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, and he seemed to play that really seedy character really well, <laughs> which is disturbing in yeah. itself, yeah. uh. But, but, and always in these sort of films, part of my mind goes, oh, no, what are they going to do? But, oh, you know, yeah. as in, what are you going to show in a 70s film, especially if these guys are an <laughs> 80s film? But, yeah. yeah. And also, can we just mention those pants? Like, everyone's short? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I was born in 85, and, like, I'm glad I missed that phase. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I wasn't. I was born a little before you, and I do remember those <laughs> days. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like, who wears short shorts? Um, yeah. Everybody. Yes, everybody. Come along now. Um, yeah. yeah, so we get this creepy cook guy uh, admiring the children with no reservations in front of his co-workers, mm. um, calling them baldies, um, which is really disturbing. And yeah. then we get Ricky, basically, the, uh, introduces Angela to his best friend, who's a guy called Paul. Um, and he shows Angela around the camp since he was there. He was there last summer, as in Ricky was. Um, Angela um, isn't really talking um, at all, um, and uh, doesn't respond when Paul talks to her, and backs away after he finishes the tour. And mm. R- Ricky tries to talk to this girl called Judy, 
He was his former girlfriend from last summer at the camp, but she hardly acknowledges him. She's moved on, man. Yeah, she's hilarious. She's like plucked out of a musical. One of those like, you know, bitches from Greece or something. Yeah, 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 that's it, (laughs) that's it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But I also too like in the dialogue when they introduce the friend of Ricky, how he like, you know, uh, talks about um, how well endowed, I think either one of the, other people or something like that is uh, and then later on like apologizes for saying that in front of her yeah stuff like that i don't know i, I like that because it, it was it, obviously just a, a mate meeting another mate and yeah it was just like oh i shouldn't have said that in front of you it's good writing <laughs> it's good, good writing, writing. Good good writing. let's applaud it let's applaud it yes now. um yeah. because uh because of the uh, the reveal at the end that comment has uh, even more weight to it um as well so look uh so uh, speaking of angela so this is where we really kind of we have met her already but she's now in a social environment with her peers and we get a really uh, bigger indication of how much of a recluse she is in this introverted nature she has mm. um but um this kind of leads her to being a, a bit bullied by like the main tormentors judy being one of them and there's a mm. camp counselor character called meg played by katherine Carmi. Um, mm. and during lunchtime, Angela's not eating much, um, and then is taken into the kitchen by, uh, the, uh, head counselor, Ronnie played by Paul D'Angelo, yeah. uh, to see if there's anything in there that she would at least eat. Um, and at which point she's left alone with the, the greasy head cook, Artie, um, uh, and, uh, Angela is taken into a back room by him as he intends to molest her um, and he starts to unbuckle his belt to do the said deed. Um, and this is when um, Ricky kind of comes to her rescue, essentially he comes charging in yeah. um, and they basically flee the kitchen and Artie threatens them. Mm. Now, apparently that scene was shot um, uh, when he's taking his pants or like undoing his pants and stuff like that was shot without her being there at least i saw that in uh, yeah. another interview yeah um, that's that's so. right because at the time she was like she was she was 13 yeah. uh when filming this um, and her mum was on set the whole time and there was mm. a big actually there was a big thing the director basically said that he didn't want any parents on on site at all because he wanted the feel of camp yes. actually on site and the only yep. the only, kind of one of the exceptions was Bliss's mum so, and because of that, she became a bit of a matriarchal kind of figure on, um, on set for all the other kids, um, mm. which was kind of cool. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, and I forgot where I was going to go with that. What were we talking about with that? <laughs> um, I mean, lost my train of thought. That's right, yeah, no, I was just going to say, because, yeah, the subject matter, as well as we, like, get into the, the end of the film, but also even this scene, especially, um, her character being that um central to it it makes sense that the parent would um should be there like the director should be saying yeah like it's fine for them to be there and and what happens at the end and and things like that um but uh also too i was going to say uh it's interesting from a a storytelling perspective because um you all the easiest stories are always uh, told through a protagonist or or someone who's out of that world i.e ghostbusters winston Comes yeah. and he can ask all the questions because he's not a scientist or a psychologist. Yes, or whatever. yes. Um, you know, so um, it's really great, um, even in a theatrical sense, because I've done a lot of street theatre, and it's 
one of the hardest things to, you don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to obviously embarrass, but you're basically playing with insinuation the whole time. Um, leaves you open to a lot of potential problems. If you remove language altogether and like put tape over your mouth and just do mime, everyone endows, oh, he can't speak or won't speak. So we have to, he must mean this, you know, they, they go out of their way to justify. So yeah. in this sense, it's a great um, technique, um, vehicle or something like this to have her character as a mute uh, or someone who won't speak because then that's that protagonist. We're yeah. now seeing yeah. the film from her perspective, or at least at the, this point in the film, that's where I felt the film was trying to do it. Didn't feel like we were following Ricky's story so much as hers. No. Um, yeah, which was great too. But also too to have Ricky as well actually on her side and not like an older brother who's just like, oh, toughen up or, or seeing a situation that also might not benefit him and running away because he's cool or whatever. He's a cool guy, but the reason he's cool is because he's good. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, he's a decent... He's no, a that's pro. right. Mm. He, yes, he is. He's very much so. Um, and, and he is. He often comes to her rescue in a, in a lot in many ways, which also begs the question that he he must have known all along about mm. her to be that kind of protective. Do you know what I mean? There's this. Yeah. It's never said that he does, but there is this. No, but I think at at the end, like there's a, a couple of theories and, and analysis I looked into um, online, and yeah. it definitely, um, yeah, it does seem to um, insinuate that there's a lot of different ways that, that that could have gone down. But I do think that, yeah, at this point, he's aware, but he's also grown up with it because I don't know how old he would have been, but he only would have yeah. been a couple of years. Well, he was a couple of years older than her, yeah. So he had yeah, been a couple His mum is dead. Yeah, his yeah. mum is that eccentric aunt. I mean, yeah. Yeah, don't he's that. insanely yeah. grounded, this kid. <laughs> Considering, like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for some right. reason, I, I, I think in the back of my head thought that the aunt was more like he, she had just adopted the two. Yeah, from two yeah. Different, you know, and, and that's what my brain was justifying. Um, but also, too, I was going to say, um, the guy with the cigar, who I think we see in that first scene, instantly, I don't know, I endowed him with just like, oh, cool, he's going to be like the wise mentor like you know or the, or the, the yeah, one who's yeah, gonna yeah. be the, the the protector or something like that which which i love playing with that trait as well um very cool now another thing the um uh african-american guy in the kitchen yes uh, he has a very famous name because he's from a very famous family ah um he is it. james l jones's father ah okay yeah. I, I could be wrong about that because I'm literally just going from memory from when I looked that up. But I yeah. think that is him. Ah, okay. That's kind of cool. Well, I have to kind of definitely uh, keep an eye out. There's for that. a trivia for you. Trivia, was... trivia, trivia. Robert Brought Earl you. Jones. All right, Robbie. Robbie. Robbie Earl Jones. Robbie. Robbie Earl Jones. Joy. <laughs> His name's Bobby Jones. <laughs> come here. Come here. Um, all right. Yeah, uh, well, I have to. Oh, I'm definitely gonna have to look that up now because um, you have intrigued me. Yeah, um, that's what I'm here for. Yes, and I've. Lost yeah, his IMDb doesn't say whether or not he is the parent or child. He's just sharing the name, sharing just the. Just name. Throwing it out there in the universe. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> got me right. Around the, got me right around um, the chops. That dude. Yes. 
Robert, I was, I was just going to say as well, whilst we're yeah, having this little moment here, um, yeah. the Robert, uh, the we always say the Rotten Tomatoes score, and even though this is right in the middle of it and doesn't really have any context, that's so right. Sort of yeah, he's the fa- he is the father of uh, James Oldjes. There we um, go. Nice. Cool. All right, awesome. carry on, sir. Carry on. Yes, no, I was going to say um, 78% on the uh, Rotten Tomatoes um, score from the uh, reviewers and 60% from the audience score. I'm surprised mm. that they weren't both at like around about 78 or 80. Yeah, I would have so, said it was a bit higher. I mean, maybe that people don't... I can, imag- I can imagine some people wouldn't kind of uh, buy into yeah. some of the elements that are in it. Um, mm. Obviously, like yeah. you know, the people who, who tune into this and, and are interested in this, obviously like horror films, but yeah. there are some crazy people out there who just don't like a good slasher flick. Yeah, goddammit. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> as an escapist sort of what, thing. What, what's um, wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. But, like, you know, even Children of the Corn, like, you know, as in that was another yeah. film that um, worked with kids and stuff like that. Yes. And, and I particularly loved that because you get a certain innocence or, or um, I don't know, a reaction from uh, kids that seems honest. And, and like, like I said, the insinuation of that guy um, and saying all those creepy things it has a ra- it raises the stakes if they're 13. You go, oh, shit, yeah. okay, now it's... Like, you know, even just saying that around the actors being that age, that's partially why they have 30-year-olds playing underage people. Yeah, just look um, at Greece. Um. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Says it all. And we all believed it. We all believed, and, and Beverly Hills 90210, for that matter. Um, yeah. So, all right. And the so, Golden Girls. And pretty much, yeah, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> if you really know how old they were. Um, yes. <laughs> so, all 16. Yay. Um, so, anyway, back to, back to Sleepaway Camp. Uh, yeah. All right, so, uh, yeah, so basically we then, um, after the kitchen incident, we return to the pantry and Artie um, is just trying to get this big vat thing going. Um, huge um, pot. Huge pot, huge pot. What the, what the fuck is he cooking in there? Um, I know, that's what I was thinking. Is he <laughs> boiling a student? <laughs> like, I'm going to cook an ostrich. Um, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> like, just from the neck down. Yeah, yeah like <laughs> a poultry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Right, dip it in. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Boiled yeah, ostrich, anyone? Hour. Yeah. Or salt. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's, it's, it's very odd. But uh, in, in the throes of it, he is trying to, he's climbing up rather delicately uh, next to this thing. And we see an unknown assailant come in and uh, basically uh, knock him off this chair. Uh, and the large yeah, pot of boiling water then spills over the, most of his body, uh, giving him severe burns. And we kind mm. of cut to then Artie kind of, um, as he's kind of whirled away. Um, and there's the camp owner, uh, Mel Kostic, um, mm. who basically just pays off the rest of the kitchen staff going, yeah, let's just pretend this didn't happen. Yeah, let's, yeah. Keep, let's keep the camp open. And, yeah. um, uh, and everyone's like, yeah, all right. Uh, including <laughs> Mr., uh, including our, uh, the assistant cook, Ben, Mr. Robert Earl Jones. Um, yeah, yeah, that's it. And tells the I replacement. also love, he, he can still speak. He, nothing has really stopped no. preventing him from saying who did it. Yeah. And so I, I thought that that was like, you know, the only sort of thing in this film that doesn't seem a bit right. Yeah. <laughs> better, stop but, that, um, better stop that Angela. Why? Yeah. Uh, well, she burnt me. 
that little mute um, girl. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, like, but at this point, we don't know. We don't still don't know who the killer is. Um, no, you're right. The next day, we uh, have uh, Ricky, Paul, and uh, the rest of the boys in their cabin, including um, this kid called Mozart. And they're, um, they, they, this is the baseball scene. They go out and play baseball with Kenny, uh, a kid called Kenny, a kid called Mike, a kid called Billy, and a couple of the other boys from another cabin. And this is like a bit of a, as I said, some people view this a bit drawn out. I did think that at one point, I was like, oh, this scene seems to be going on for a little bit. But not, not that I didn't, I didn't mind it. I just was aware no. that I was like, oh. Oh, yeah, you don't yeah. see a whole game. <laughs> no, yeah, it's like yeah. the seventh inning stretch, everyone. Um, yeah. So, but it also communicates so much more about what the camp's like, you know, yeah. camaraderie is, and that's exactly why, what happens later on. Like this is really sets Ricky's um, uh, prominence in the camp to me. Yes. Yeah. So the older guys, I I didn't know if they were like the camp counselors, as in like you know the 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 teenagers like the 18 year old kids yeah versus the younger kids you get that impression that that was what might be happening but it's not it's not clear is it but yeah no um the counselors do kind of seem to in this particular camp do seem to intermix a lot with the activities that the younger kids are doing Mm. um well because most of the time too yeah they they're still in high school as well like you know there's only one or two actual adults there yes and so that's why there's so much debauchery and stuff like that because it's the first time that kids are really allowed to yeah. run amok amongst ticks. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, so then we get to later that night uh, and there's like a bit of a recreation kind of cabin where there's like a bit of a dance thing happening. And this is where we get Angela's kind of accosted by the Kenny and Mike character who are mocking her for not speaking. And again, this prompts Ricky to kind of come up with into the scene um he's with his friend paul and they get into a bit of a fight with the boys and several others join in um and then after the brawl is broken up by the counselor gene um ricky and the rest of the boys involved in the fight leave uh but paul stays behind and he kind of at this point there's a bit of a at this stage what seems like a genuine friendship forming between him and angela Mm. And he's kind of telling her about his misadventures and how Ricky would get into uh, him and the stuff that him and Ricky would get into when they were younger. Mm. Um, Angela doesn't, still doesn't talk in this bit, but she does seem quite um, intrigued with what he's saying, generally involved. Yeah. And as Paul goes to leave, uh, this is when uh, we hear her speak for the very first time when she says, good night. And he turns around and goes, oh, sweet, talk to me. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, then we cut to later again that evening and we see Kenny who is rowing a boat with his girlfriend Leslie and he rocks the boat overturns the boat and Leslie angrily swims away um, <laughs> uh, a scene which is actually replicated uh, again which I've just realised is a bit of a nod uh, in Felissa Rose's latest film Camp Twilight same, exactly the same thing happens um, ah. 
which I just yeah, realized. Like, I was like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I thought it was interesting too, like as well, because it is very well written um, for the camp environment. Like you've got the whole skinny dipping thing. You've got like, yeah. you know, um, hitting on girls and, and, and everything like that. But um, the tactic too, that the bullies take before they bully Angela, I think don't they ask her out or they're trying to. Yeah, they're trying to, they are. Yeah, yeah. And then when so she's it, not really being responsive, it's that. Their oh, motivations oh. and then suddenly take a hard turn. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And then yeah. this same situation, he's, I'm assuming wanting to, you know, kiss and be romantic with this girl. So why yeah. the hell would you upturn the boat? Yeah. I assume what then you can be close, but in Australia, I don't, you don't take chances in the bush, in the wild, in the water. I don't know. <laughs> hell no. Yeah. The second that she starts swimming away, I was like, wait, she's swimming back to shore? I was like, fuck, <laughs> don't get caught in reeds and shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> what are you doing? Um, snakes and stuff. Like, interestingly yeah. enough, like, as venomous as snakes are on the land, the most venomous snakes are sea snakes. So it's ah, like, there you yeah, go. you want to stay a world of... Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, in this, he upturns the boat, and um, it's obvious he's the only one out there. But he goes underneath the boat, and he starts taunting yep. her. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He, he's underneath it and he's like being a, even more of a dick. Um, yeah, now, sound travels far further underwater. Yeah. So I was thinking, is he thinking that because it's an enclosed space, <laughs> underneath him, if he yells, it's going to make yeah. his, it's going to be louder than him outside of the boat going, hey, you silly pants. But yeah. I, maybe it was, it was purely just to get him alone underneath that boat. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. Yep. So that, yeah, it's just like I'm gonna, I'm gonna hide under this now. Yeah, uh, but it's yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah. Uh, there is no other reason, really, is there? It is a bit. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, never really. I, I don't know. I, I just, I just kind of took it as that's what was happening. I didn't really analyze it, which was probably a bit foolish of me. Um, <laughs> but. But no, yeah, overanalyzing. Yeah, like, but but that's kind of a cool thing because yeah, like I mean, essentially this is when the next kill happens, and we have um, we have him being again attacked by an unknown assailant, um, mm. and uh, he's pushed underwater, uh, and then we get in the morning uh, the discovery of Kenny's dead and decomposing body is found, um, yeah. and again it's it's ruled as accidental by the camp owner. <laughs> Ah, yeah, this sort like, of thing happens all the time. Yeah, it's a hot fuzz situation. Yeah, like, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, accidentally <laughs> fell on her shears. And also, I was going to yeah, say go the balls as well that this film had, even from the first kill and then this kill, to show the killer. You know, you don't obviously see the face, but you see the back of the head and you see the hand. So yeah. instantly, you're Sherlocking it and going, okay, well, the skin tone, it's, it's like, you know, it's a young hand. You know, yeah. So you're reading into it. Um, and uh, what was it? When they filmed all of these, the boy who played Ricky, I think, yeah. they actually got him to, to do uh, the hand. In. Yeah. yeah, to do that because, and also to do the boat. Yeah, because apparently uh, Felissa's hands, because she's a girl, they, they look too feminine and they, they yeah. wanted a slightly more, uh, a bit of a more... They didn't want you to think exactly it's masculine. Away. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Now, this... In this next scene, after we've seen the snake come out of the corpse's nose, we get the um, first scene with the cops, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, the cop with the uh, infamous uh, moustache. Yes, that's yeah. it. The, the, uh, the, the growing and shrinking moustache. <laughs> yeah, which I assumed was like in a time of VHS, not that big a deal, yeah. but in high definition and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's Groucho Marx hilarious. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, apparently he was called. I think this is later on, but he was called back to do a shoot, and so his moustache changes shape, um, which has yeah, been has become to, um, a. As in, like he got called back for reshoots. Uh, yeah, and he had to shave it off for another role. Yeah, and so um, I actually thought it was yeah, painted on, on, but it's it's a, like a stuck on moustache. Yeah, yeah, that's it. But it definitely looks very different. Um, yeah, what so are these things? The guy's <laughs> cop's name is that's it. Yeah. Oh my God! It's Frank. <laughs> it's the cop, oh, no. Frank. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, so later that day, um, <laughs> Angela walks up to Paul and actually begins to talk to him. Hairy eyebrows. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, no. the, uh, <laughs> I, I, I've, for the uh, for the sake of uh, those that may be listening right now. I've completely lost Dr. Lovegrave on a, on a bit of a, uh, he's gone down moustache a, a, a moustache escapade with a little prop. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so later that evening, uh, we have, um, uh, Angela actually walks up to Paul and she begins to, uh, to talk with him as he uh, watches the girls playing volleyball. And this kind of annoys the Judy character because she's got a bit of a soft spot for Paul at this point. Uh, Meg tells Angela, so Meg is like one of the school counsellors there, that she either must participate or do nothing, uh, which includes talking with the boys. Like you're going to mm. join in or you don't do anything and don't talk to the boys. Or no boys. No boys for you. Join in or no boys. Uh, <laughs> and that evening, um, Paul and Angela then go to the rec room to watch a movie and they leave when the movie's over, hand in hand, as Angela slowly starts to become more friendly with him. When they are alone, Paul tries to give Angela a kiss and get a bit full, full on, um, but she gets uptight and walks back to her cabin. He's like, "God, shake!" Um, this is when we get that flash. Yes. No, this isn't when they're on. The, is this when they're on the beach? Yeah, yeah. There's a bit of a. She, he goes to give her a bit of a fondle. Um, yeah. And then she sees um, the moment. Uh, with the boat accident from the beginning. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Um, and then we get the next day at the lake and Paul sits next to Angela and uh, who tells him that she cannot go in the water um, for the fear of the water. And Paul gets up and leaves. And then again, Meg arrives again, um, the counselor girl. And she asks mm. Angela, if she's, are you going to go in and swim? Um, but Angela doesn't talk to her, and this just annoys Meg. Yeah, I was going to say, doesn't Meg or Judy come up first, then Paul leaves? And I was like, that's uh, a pretty douchey thing to do. Yeah, yeah, he just walks <laughs> off and leaves them. And then yeah. we get, then we get uh, Meg shaking um, Angela because she's not talking until Ronnie pulls her away and tells her to, and tells her to leave Angela alone. Mm. Um, uh, Ronnie being another one of the counsellors. Um, like Michelin man. Yeah, they did. Yeah, the big guy. Um, yeah, I had a PE teacher when I was at school who like wore exactly what he's wearing, except uh, he had a big moustache as well. Wow. We used to call him the paddle pop lion. Ah, oh, yeah. Which yes. I don't know. If I I don't. Well, we didn't have paddle pops in the UK, uh, oh. as in as in the character that you're referring to. But I wonder if our states listeners are aware. But anyway, yes. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, Let's see if I can find him. Yeah. Look at the. Uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, I had a similar teacher. But what's the thing? There's a moustache thing going on. Hmm. 
Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. I should. <laughs> so, yeah, but then Meg, Meg is a bit pissed off and being a bit bitchy. And then we go to the girl's cabin, and this is where Judy then starts approaching Andrew and, and is angry, thinking that she got Meg into trouble. And this is and Judy's been a, a bitch herself, begins mocking Angela again and asks her, hey, how come she never go in the shower while everyone else is in the shower? And how come she don't go swimming? How come she don't change clothes with the other girls? And Angela mm-hmm. just still just sits there and not talking. But it's clear at this it's point. It's like Eddie from it. Yeah. But we also have um, Angela. Uh, oh, so she's clearly hiding some at this point, but we don't know what it is. Mm. We cut to later in the day, and Andrew is uh, going over to the boys' dorm, I think, and this is where she gets hit in the face with a water balloon by Billy and his friends yeah. who are on the, on the roof. And again, Ricky comes in. This is the bit where I think he was asked to audition where he's like swearing like a trooper with the kids um, yeah. on the roof. Um, as he comes to the aid and he's like, I'll kill him. Um, and... A little while later, while his friends go off to play basketball, uh, Billy stays behind in the cabin. He goes into the restroom for a dump. Um, yeah. A, a wicked dump. I'll be with you uh, again. Going to have a wicked Great dump. Great riding. Yeah. Um, and this is probably the strangest uh, kill scene in the movie, where he's in the, he's in the cubicle and he's kind of locked yeah. in the cubicle. And then all of a sudden, there's like a, like a split in the vent from the window. And we see somebody uh, with a um, a beehive, essentially shake the hive on the edge of a stick, with the bees then come out, uh, mm. and then allegedly, like the the point is, is that they start attacking Billy, who's stuck in the in the stall, going, "Ah, oh, help me, help me out!" And he even gets, though we don't see anything flying around, we don't see anything start flying around, yep. and uh, and he gets stung to death. Um, mm. and, I, and I think the guy that the visual effects guy from memory was talking about the shot we have and he said he said I don't remember what we stuck on that corpse's face but the bees were like drawn to it like anything mm. and like the shot itself is literally the whole head is just covered in, covered in bees wow. um, but yeah there you go what's what's it like those people who wear the um the beards or you can I remember, I think it was a test in something like um, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. And, and the, what you've got to do is you've got to put a, a queen um, somewhere on yes. you and then yeah. they, they, and then just stay calm. But like, yeah, you can, uh, those people who do it because in sideshow acts and stuff like that, it's full on. That's it. Um, but I kind of liked, again, it's the same as um, it being a low budget thing, not seeing the, the bees. We know what's happening. We hear the sound effects. Yeah. Um, it's the same though with the beginning, just because we can see, and it's most likely Ricky's hand or it looks like, yeah, yeah. Like, didn't make me go, Oh, it's him. It was just like, well, maybe he was the only actor there to film it or, yeah. you know, maybe the director's trying to do something else or like, you know, I like yeah, that. And that's, yeah. well, this also leads to the fact like because it was Ricky doing it, this also leads to the other theory at the time where they thought it was two killers and not, not just the one as well. Mm. And that Ricky mm. was a part, part of it as well, uh, yeah. which has been banded around. Um, so, uh, what happens then? So when Mel then, but so the counselor chick, uh, learns about Billy's death. Um, oh no, not Mel. Sorry. That's not the counselor chick. I was thinking of Meg. Yeah. Mel's the guy, Mel's the guy that owns the place, isn't it? Sorry. He learns about the, oh, yeah. the death and he becomes a bit more settled now because it's like the third death. Um, and he's like, oh, I don't want the camp to be shut down. 
and he's he at this <laughs> after point three. Yeah, after three. Um, after but three he deaths. he he actually becomes suspicious of Ricky. He thinks he's the one that's behind it because they keep yep. uh, bullying Angela, and mm. he thinks that's the reason that's happening. And the relationship. Meanwhile, the relationship between Angela and Paul starts to uh, get a bit strained um, during the evening, and Paul attempts to make out with Angela on the beach. This is the beach bit. Sorry, so, this is the beach bit. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, and that causes Angela to have a flashback to her youth when she and her brother Peter witnessed their father in bed with Lenny. And oh. Angela rejects Paul, John. who tries to have sex. John. Um, that's what he says in the moment of climax, too. Um, <laughs> John. 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 Lenny. And, and, and every. Uh, Lenny. John. Lenny. Rocky. Um, so, oh, Ricky! <laughs> I'll put it away. Um, Angela. I don't know. There's not an Angela one. There, there's not Angela. Jesse. Angela. Um, put your pants on. Um, the, um, so, uh, oh, uh, total sidetrack. So, yeah, so We've lost, lost in my confusion. Yeah, sees them in bed. That's right. um, but then there's another shot of of a bed rotating around with um, the little boy and the little girl. Yeah. I'm not too sure which one's pointing at which, but I think it's. The boy is pointing to the girl. Yes, and I then it right. spins around, and then it cuts, and it's resetting the the kids in the bed. So you're always seeing the boy in the position pointing at the girl. Yeah, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, right. And, and you don't so. know what the hell is going on. No, that, that's really that is a really weird moment <laughs> mm. to say the least. Um, and this just results in. Um, Angela rejecting Paul with all this kind of all the flashback stuff happening because uh, he is trying to kind of get it on with her essentially and she just runs away. Um, yeah, which also too from a motivational sense because like before this she trips him. She goes yeah. in for a kiss and then trips him. So yeah. it's like whether or not she's intending to do what she's going to do like from the get-go of his interest purely because he's interested or yeah. is she just confused? Yeah, I I think it's I think it's more the latter. I think like there's a moment where she she's generally interested, and then gets mm. confused in the moment of it. It was like, oh, hold on, I, I'm not meant to feel that way, you know, and getting kind of a yeah. bit lost, well, and, uh, and then reacting to me. the scene in question that that we're seeing the flashback of her father. Then, yeah. yeah, remind me at the end when we um, get to the last scene because there's a musical reference that I I think. Ah, oh, cool. To bring up here. All right, yeah, sounds good. Intrigued. Um, okay, so then we get to the next day with, and we're following Paul now, who's a bit kind of confused about why Angela was so angry and why she rejected him. And then he becomes easily seduced by the Judy character who kind of lures him off. And this is during, during a game of um, capture, the flap, capture the Flag. Capture the Flap. Capture the Flap. Uh, capture the Flag, yeah. Oh, good old Capture the Flag games. And we have a game, uh, which this is, yes, uh, assembled by the councillor, Jeff. Um, and then at the same time in the woods, Angela and Ricky are talking about Paul and his intentions where Ricky expresses to Angela that he doesn't quite trust Paul. Um, but Angela reminds Ricky that Paul, Paul's just a friend. Um, mm. And at which point they happen to see Paul and Judy kissing, uh, which prompts Angela to run off again. Um, a little later, uh, feeling guilty about what happened between him and Judy, Paul attempts to explain himself to Angela um, while on the beach at the lake. But this time, she does not want to talk to him. She's like, no, fuck you. Mm. 
And then we also uh, cut to the evening now. And this is where we meet Meg again, the counsellor chick, as she's preparing for her date with Mel, uh, the owner, which massive age gap kind of question mark. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, just before this, I think that's when they have uh, a sequence where she's actually thrown into the water. Oh, does that happen first? Oh, shit. Okay. Again, I'm just scrubbing through on on YouTube and and that's coming up just before that Meg moment. As in, it's insinuated before that. Yeah, yeah. But that same guy. And this is the bit where... Yeah, that's right. And Mel's Mel's grabbing Ricky because he thinks he's behind it. He's going, I know it's you. I know what you're trying to do. Stop trying to protect her. And yeah, yeah, and that's where she gets thrown in the water. That's right. Yeah. Then we, I love it too because it, like, you know, rather than taking him to an area and like handcuffing him or locking him in a cage or anything like that, he's just going to shake him. Yep. This is going to solve the problem. All about You're a murderer. I knew it was you. Stop yeah. it. Stop shaking me. Yeah. And that's it. I've yeah. shaken all the sillies out now. <laughs> yeah. Um, like a baby. <laughs> yeah. We can carry on. It's all good. Uh, yeah. Then we get... But that's the, the same point that Meg throws her in the water. Yeah, that's right. And that'll be why they, we get the revenge moment um mm. as meg is getting ready and this like hands off is hands down i should say is the big nod to psycho because the shower scene that we get yeah. with a twist um and Ooh, with a twist, with a twist <laughs> and a slice <laughs> of lemon and <laughs> we have um, meg who is uh having a shower and uh at which point um we have the knife a knife come up embedding itself into the back of the shower itself which is one of those kind of fibro kind of uh it's an aluminium sheet yeah yeah that's right so Mm. embeds through that somehow impales meg through the back at the same time and then is sliced downwards um yeah yeah uh which you just go i think it might have been friday was was kevin bacon in friday the 13th knife yes the original yeah. one, where it comes through the... Yeah, yeah, but, but, the, but he's lying on the bed and he does yeah. that. Like, but the killer holds his head back. That's what I thought, felt was missing from this. Like, she steps into it. It's her own fault. Meg did it herself. If she had slipped <laughs> or something, then I, th- I don't know. Because there's yeah. nothing holding her towards that. But no, I still thought that that was really good, pulling it down and tearing it, and you can see her going, oh, like that. Yeah, that was um, a cool bit. I had to make yeah. it. was kind of a nice, nice moment, even though the logistics is a bit... Meh. Um, yeah, I, I think you could like pierce, um, but just because recently I saw Enola Holmes and um, ah, right yeah. at the end, yeah, they um, the two characters hide behind a uh, sheet of, uh, of like a suit of armor, yeah. and someone's coming at them with a double barrel shotgun yeah. um, within a pretty close range, couple of like you know, about 10, 20 feet, yeah. Um, and he's firing shots, and so I, I, I was thinking that. He's shooting a shotgun, so those are flying out everywhere. But they could be shooting buck shots. Yes. But if they're shooting buck shots, they're concentrated. They would definitely go through a suit of armor because suits of armor became redundant once firearms came out. And this is the earliest muskets. Um, yeah. Any ball that would fire out of that because it would penetrate that suit of armor. Yeah. Um, suits of armor was really only for glancing blows or for mainly swords yeah. um, uh, and arrows. And that's why they had that peak at the front. Yep. So, yeah, I, I do think with a, a Bowie knife type thing, it's like a survival knife. Yeah, yeah you can get through. Uh, it's a flimsy sheet of metal. And as I said, I hate the showers at those camps. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not, I guess I'm not questioning the, uh, the logistics of it being able to pierce through the oh, okay. metal casing of the shower and into a body. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm more questioning how it could then still slice downwards. 
Um, oh, I see. Yeah. Because well, I feel like we need a Mythbusters. We need a yeah, Surgeons of Horror. We do. Busting the myths of whether or not, how can we kill these these? We need, we okay, need, well, we need a cadaver uh, volunteer. Um, yeah, so great Aussie bush camp. Um, like, you know, invite <laughs> us out there. We'll bring a whole bunch yeah, of kids into this. We're going to test it out. Throw some yeah. beehives into a toilet. Um, yeah, we'll just get parent, parental consent. <laughs> yeah. so, your children may or may not live. Um, yeah. yeah, so yeah, so we have the, uh, with the, the next death scene, essentially, with this uh, Meg uh, girl being killed. Mm. And, uh, but uh, her disappearance kind of goes a bit unnoticed <laughs> at first. Yeah. But, and the camp activities go on as usual. Um, mm. And yeah, the social the kind of taking place. Yeah. A whole bunch of kids out to like a, a little... I don't know, off camping. Yeah, that's like that. it. Um, Angela is again approached by Paul, who tries to apologize about what happened with Judy. And at this point, Angela tries to tell Paul to meet her later. Oh, just meet me later at the waterfront after the social. Yeah. Mm. You're like, okay. Um, then we but get that's these. That's also too where it's, it's a shot like this and, and like they're both supposed to be here and she turns around and goes, meet me later on. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it a sight like that? It's, it is. Yeah. It's like it's like as if talking to off camera, like you know, like uh, yeah. uh, it's her own. Ready for my close-up, Mister Demille. Soliloquy. Yeah. Um, little did he know that I wouldn't be there as myself. Oh, so little. So little um, did he know. So little did he know that I would be there oh, in the house to present. Um, <laughs> then we have. Um, yeah, the six we have six young kids who throw sand at Angela. Um, uh, after taking, oh, sorry, they're taking that camp counseling thing with Eddie. Um, two of them asked to go back because they feel sick. Um, and Eddie takes the two back to his car and drives them back to the camp. But when and Eddie comes little... back, he finds the other four children in their sleeping bags hacked to bits with Eddie's axe, uh, oh. which was used to cut wood. Lying on the ground oh. and it's dripping with blood. Mm. I didn't even like. I was just like, the killer's got a knife. Yeah, like, you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like kids. This is like the young kids have been killed. Like four young kids have been killed. So this is probably like, and I think this is. Uh, this is like the only death that's questioned. Yeah, the, de- the, the yeah the director wise. the director even said himself that it was the one bit he probably found a bit probably was probably pushing things a bit too far. Um, yeah, like this is the sort of scene that you would easily say like the the studio has said no we need more yeah like, we, we need more death we need more deaths than this yeah who, more, who can we get like, what about the little guys what about these little yeah. kids they don't do fucking anything let's kill a couple of these kids it might have just been that like take a purely innocent thing and see it destroyed like we'll create that horror yeah, element yeah. yeah like even in fight club when he beats the face of um yeah. jared leto and then says i wanted to destroy something beautiful and you're sort of like, whoa. And everybody's just like, don't fuck with him. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's, he's a little bit special. Talking about split personalities. Um, yeah. So uh, then we get... Uh, banana, my, split ba- mm, banana splits. Banana splits. <laughs> uh, that's whole, banana one, B1 and B2. You know, basically, it's all about split personalities. The, exactly. Uh, meanwhile, Mike and Judy are kissing. Um, and Mike hides when Mel stops to ask where Meg is. Uh, Do you have to give so wet? Yes. Um, Great. Mike, Mike, Mike decides that he'd better leave, and Mel. This is where Mel finds Meg's dead body in the shower stall, and he still thinks Ricky's the one behind it. Mm. And so he and decides, this is sort of what makes him go. Now I got to do something. 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill this kid. Um, mm. And then, so he gets one of his cigars and just like, yeah. Smoke it. Um, yeah. So Judy uh, also at this point uh, has decided to skip the social to be with Mike. Um, and he, she goes back to the girl's cabin and uh, this is, and oh, sorry, and he's killed uh, by an unseen killer who enters and pushes her out. Uh, at which point the murderer then uh, creeps in, shoves a pillow on the face of Judy um, and forces a curling iron somewhere unknown, hinted at possibly yeah. her vagina. Um, yeah, most likely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and probably Again, creative what, kills, but didn't need to see anything. Yeah, well, we don't. Yeah, we don't. We we don't see is insinuated, and but in in that, yeah, we definitely don't want to see that. Um, yeah, the only thing is that she's mm. incapa- Judy is incapacitated by a punch to the face from the yes, assailant. That's right. Now, that would also be something I think I would question because I don't think that someone, the killer's size, regardless of whether it is either mm. two people have been insinuated now, would be able to make someone unconscious from that. <laughs> like, you know, as in so that she's incapacitated. The, the, one, the one killer punch. Yeah, well, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know I what you're know, saying. Mm. Having said that, though, it's 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 a, it's a fun movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Punches, punches aside, uh, yeah. Mm. Um, okay, so uh, yeah, so we have Judy's death, um, and which is now reminding me of arachnophobia because a hand goes up and does this sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, after the social, the camp is thrown into panic when Eddie arrives and tells the counselors about the deaths of these four kids. Um, <laughs> Ricky, I just imagine him reading it off like a minutes. Yeah, okay, yeah. guys. So we've had four deaths in the last hour. <laughs> Fortunately, it's the young ones that have been killed this time. Um, mm, young yes. ladies. Um, I've got the butchered in their sleeping bags, which uh, is quite delightful. The um, and, and a vomit, uh, which is and, always and good. Vomit. Yes, and uh, next on the agenda, we're all out of um, sweets. Um, so if somebody can um, quickly uh, go to the shops and arrange that. No! The sweets! Yes, all the, licor- all the licorice all sorts, I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, oh, where am I going with that? Losing my track again. I was um, going to say, maybe it's when Ricky's just walking down the street eating like something like an Almond Joy. Ah, yes. Strutting stuff. And uh, he's missed the social because he, he was feeling sick. And he overhe- he overhears the news before about um, before he then gets attacked by Mel, who accuses him of killing Meg and all the others, and he starts beating the fuck out of him. Yeah, seemingly to death. It's led to believe, like just and also beating- too like it's scary yeah. too because he starts open slapping him, and then he just starts like a like um, yeah, like two thousand one space Odyssey just <laughs> yeah. slamming yeah. him, and you're like yeah. fuck. He's like stop, man, like, stop. Yeah, even just um, like at this point now, I can't remember if Ricky dies or not. <laughs> he, he he doesn't die. He's, oh, good. He's, he's it's a sin, sin, uh, insinuated that he has, but he doesn't. Um, oh, God, Mel no. Mel then stumbles into uh, a, a camp archery range, um, where he's like, "Oh my God, it can't be you! It can't be you!" Yeah. Um, and uh, at which point he's shot in the throat. With an arrow. Like amazing accuracy too. I mean, yeah. wherever this killer is training, it's, yeah. it's, it's paying off. 
ninja punches, uh, killer shots with arrows. It's uh, and uh, uh, expert um, curling iron, curling iron <laughs> insertions. Um, yeah. Like, yeah, she's got it down pat. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, another another killer. Uh, she's, another- she's definitely uh, um, exceeded expectations in the penetration department. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, the holiest of holies. And mm. uh, <laughs> Ronnie uh, calls the police at this point. Um, to tell, to tell And tells Marie uh, to gather the other counsellors to round up the surviving campers, put them in one cabin, set fire to the cabin. Run, no, <laughs> <laughs> run away. <laughs> run away. Because <laughs> let's get out of here. Uh, and so, like, so that they can root out the killer, essentially. Uh, the counsellors mm. and the police then scour the camp and Angela meets Paul on the beach, at which point uh, she tells him to undress. And Paul's like, boy, <laughs> yeah, sure, I'll do this. <laughs> um, and then Ronnie and Marie then find the dead Megan Mel um, and realise things are getting heavy. And Frank the cop comes back. Moustache Frankie. Moustache um, Frankie. Mustachio. And Jean finds Ricky, who is still alive. This is the bit I meant. Like, so they find Ricky's still alive. Jean carries the badly, badly beaten Ricky away to a waiting ambulance as Frank radios for backup. Ronnie, Ronnie and Susie, now the names are all blurring at this point. Uh, but anyway, yeah. they basically find, this is what they, they basically are going to search for any other survivors. And this is where they find Angela, who is completely naked on the beach, softly yeah. singing to herself and clutching a large knife and Paul's severed head in her hands. Mm. Angela is, at this point, then revealed to be both the killer and a boy, which leads to her to be the thought to be dead Peter instead of Angela. Um, now, this shot itself um, has become the signature shot of the film because it's the big mm. reveal shot. Um, and they, the people weren't sure how to do this or whether or not to first have the shot of Angela as in Felissa Rose with a fake appendage uh, mm. between her legs. But realizing that probably like a prosthetic be, or something. Yeah. Realizing that probably wouldn't have worked. Um, I think the guy actually, actually genuinely, I think the guy actually did make a prosthetic appendage as well. Mm. Um, yeah. But they, they didn't go down that road. Um, they instead made a life, uh, lifelike uh, face mask of Angela, the big open mouth screen thing. Mm. And they got an extra in to play the role of um, Angela and just stick in the mask on. And apparently Uncredited had to, as well. Uncredited, yeah. Apparently had to get him completely fucking legless in order for, for him to do this scene. Um, mm. And he was never seen again. Yeah. Um, some say yeah, his penis is one of the most is. popular and well-renowned public figures on yep. Instagram. Some, some people say he's still out there somewhere. Um, <laughs> <laughs> with the mask still. Mm. Yeah. No, but um, like yeah. That, that, that moment when she stands up and she has that uh, shot, um, yeah. of her, at, that sort of thing. Yeah. Scared yeah. the shit out of me because it was sort of like the culmination of moments of going, I didn't, Think that I didn't want the Paul character to die, yeah. And that point was still like, oh shit, she ripped off her head. 
she stands up she's got this insane smile on her face yeah um and that look alone is very disturbing um, it is it is then, because i think i think it lends uh, just if i can interject for a second yeah. i think also because of the because it is a mask it's a, it's a fixed shot of like look it's not moving so it has this kind of it lends now, itself to this the mask silicon valley thing yeah the mask that's referred to in the documentary i'm pretty sure is the full frontal nudity mask that was put on the extra there's there's two yeah. shots one before that which is the actual actress and that's her that face that is the one i'm talking about the prosthetic always prosthetics for me always never communicate the same because you have to hold the thing for like half an hour yes so to do that like obviously everything starts to relax and stuff like so you'll never get this this fear in the moment element um unless it's been doctored or actually made by an artist yeah um, beforehand for the mold taking so that that's just what i meant her shot um with that face i thought was terrifying uh more terrifying than the prosthetic and the reveal of the front but also too it, there's so much blood down here i didn't know whether or not she'd mutilated herself as well. I, uh, and so I was like, is she trying to give herself like, you know, like um, a bit of a, yeah. There was a German film I remember seeing about a, uh, a Jewish guy who was just trying to get through uh, and he was put into a situation where he had to be in the German army during the Nazi time. And there was a scene where he, had, he was stressing out and mutilating his penis because he was circumcised. So he was trying to make it so that he didn't appear Jewish when he was, in the showers with the other German officers and stuff. And it reminded me of that, where it was just this intense moment where maybe this is the crisis for that character. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Deal with it. But, um, but it, uh, now it, uh, I also thought it's probably just blood from his head. It's blood from wherever, the mutilation. Yes, yes. Mm. Um, yeah, and, but it's also like there's this kind of like growling kind of sound that, that she's kind of making as well, which... Is also I'm oh, sorry I've sent that thing twice to you sorry, um, this growling kind of noise that um, that she's making, which kind of is this almost animalistic kind of sound. It's it's like literally the wheels have come off and and you know her her mind has become unhinged in this frenzied moment, which you you could analyze that for yeah. quite a long quite a in-depth period which we don't have the time to do so in, in a in a short film or podcast oh, yeah. discussion um like a yeah yeah mm. yeah. yeah um um but yeah mm. really really uh really kind of uh cool cool moment at the end like it's like i said like mm. oh, oh i was supposed to give people a bit of a warning that we we're going to mention that bit too anyway <laughs> You've heard right. it now. I think we've given them enough <laughs> yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, but then, so then we get like the, the climax of the film following this kind of big reveal moment is the flashbacks. And it's shown that Martha, Aunt Martha, gained custody of Peter and decided to raise Peter as a girl, already having a son, uh, as in Ricky, and coming to the con conclusion that another boy simply would not do, no, that would not do at all. Um, it's also implied that Peter slash Angela was mentally affected in a very negative way um, after seeing her, her father yeah. sharing a homosexual experience or embrace with another man. This I film, think it'd be more, they saw the death of her like sibling yeah, and that's father. How I, that's what I took it from, like more so yeah. than some sexual And then it's confused by the father's relationship and yeah. knowing what society deems that unnecessary at the time. Yeah. But now she's forced to be 
across, yeah. like cross-dressing. And so exactly. obviously her identity would be just insane. Yeah. Um, and that's cases too that's happened in a lot of life. I mean, like, um, especially because of the, the society um, uh, reputation that one might get, a lot of the time people who had children out of wedlock would um, say that, like, they would be raised as the yeah. sister of the yes, person who would right. actually be their mother. Yeah. yeah um, or, or something like this. And it's, it's so tragic because then they might not even find out like, you know, into their thirties or something like this, or, you know, not at all, or yeah, uh, yeah. everybody else knows and they don't know. And it's just a cruel sort of thing. But I was even going to say too, um, there's a musical called Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Yes. Um, yeah. Which is um, <laughs> about, uh, again, um, uh, East German. Uh, it's East an awesome, Berlin. awesome film. It's so good, yeah. yeah. And um, a, a guy falls in love with an American GI and takes him back over to America. But to do so, he has to um, uh, have a sex change. And they get a, a dodgy one in a back alley and stuff like this. And so it doesn't actually, it literally just makes a gash, an open wound that appears to be, and then it's passed by a doctor and it's awful. So the reason it's head dig in the angry inches because that's um, that sort of sewn up thing there. Yeah. But within that, it's that dual identity of also going, who am I now, now that I, I have no gender specificity yeah like, you know i identify as as both male and female um but yeah then society's uh point of view too or the, yeah i just thought that that was a, an interesting thing as well to bring up because of it um is a subject matter that i don't know whether this film was really trying to go that deep into that side of it or if it was just more shocking pale but um because yeah I, I rather than all those things i was more surprised that oh she killed him <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, okay. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I, I get that. But I think, I don't know, I, I definitely I definitely went down the angle of, or avenue of going, now that's really interesting. And I, I wondered, I, I, got, I leapt straight to, I wonder how a modern film going audience would accept, uh, would approach that ending. Mm. Um, yeah, same. With the... Uh, transgender equality kind of thing it it would somebody who classifies themselves as transgender um Mm. be approving of this film or would they find it scathing because of the depiction of it yeah that's and that's where my head was at and i generally don't know the answer or how i feel about that because like um this is more about like the the transgender kind of component is actually forced on the peter character in this who is angela yeah like, so it's not like a, like a, 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 cho- a choice sort of. yeah it's not one born out of choice and if yeah. anything the villain in this isn't really angela slash peter it's uh aunt martha who kind of forced yeah. this thing upon her nephew mm. um and she was like i mentioned this to felissa rose in the interview is like he, she's like the frankenstein here who's created this like a monster in in uh, and confusion psychologically fucking up Peter mm. um, to the point that you know he's become murderous in his out- output, and I think yeah. that just puts a, it. It definitely puts an interesting spin on on uh, a the serial killer kind of slasher concept. And I mm. think to me that's what, regardless of where you sit with the representation of somebody of that character, it definitely makes it a marking point of who Peter slash Angela is um, mm. and the psychological impact that that has on mm. them makes her character so much more in-depth than your average serial killer. Yeah. 
Do you know what I mean? So like I just totally. instantly kind of right at the very end of it, you just go, well, I have so many questions now. Um, mm. And, and also the, too, there's a lot of motivation that you can see justified too within like that. 100%, 100%. And like, and so, and then this whole, it comes down to not just, it's it, like I said earlier on in the podcast, it's, it comes down to identity. And, and when you have your identity stripped away from you, you, what part of you still tries to hang on to the part of you that was before or, mm. or is willing to let go of that? And, and to what degree does that impact have on you? Mm. Um, there's a lot of questions that, are, that we as a society still can't answer. You know, it's still become, it's still to, to this day, people argue over it um, to the nth degree, you know, and, and wrongfully question uh, the role that people that, that classify themselves as transgender have in society. I don't think things mm. are that straight, straight. I mean, I'm speaking very, I'm going a very kind of, um, uh, I'm coming out and just kind of talking very kind of open-minded about my own views on this subject in that I don't think gender is something that is so black and white. You know, I don't mm. think you can kind of label things that, that easily. And I think, um, uh, I think it's, um, the uh, indigenous community, uh, one of the indigenous communities in America from the um, uh, Native Americans actually have one of these things that puts up, they're basically like they split the, uh, they've got like a representation that you either, you, you tend to fall in one of four characters. You're either a male, 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 female, female, male, or female, female. Like, um, mm. and, and I kind of... Yeah, and I kind of like that. Like, I think, yeah, that's right. We're not, we're not. It's not just male and female. Like, it's not that easy to kind of, kind of place oneself. And I think that's where the, that's where a lot of the the grey line is. I, I guess, and that's where the topic no, absolutely comes up. It's it's and it's not resolved um, mm. by any stretch. So yeah. But I mean, that's not yeah, for no. us, that's not for us, me. You know, like horror podcasters to kind of try and resolve um, in a discussion. But I think what mm. my point is is I think that's what makes this film uh, a bit more. Uh, I think that's possibly why not not just the nostalgic element of this film, but I think this is why this film still carries weight today. And would mm. and I often ask our you know podcasters, as you know, Richard. Uh, what you think a modern going audience would think of this. And I think because of this uh, character, this intriguing character, I think it does. I still think it does still resonate. But what are your yeah. thoughts on that? Do you agree with that or? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like I, I'm, I'm definitely one who overanalyzes things and tries to give um, a yeah. lot of benefit of the doubt and credence until like, you know, like I want to make everyone smarter. <laughs> like, <you> know, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Not, not make everyone smart. I just want, you know, yeah us all to get along to the next oh, day yeah yeah exactly yeah so exactly. but even with that like you know the, the idea that you mentioned is very similar to um aristophanes account of what plato's symposium on um the origin of love yep. is where um uh trying to think of it off the top of my head but i'm um, in hedwig the angry inch they have the song origin of love in which case it's um the uh the children of the earth of woman and woman back to back yeah the children yeah, yeah. of the moon, I think, a man and man back to back, and the yes. children of the sun 
I'm, they might be all wrong, but yeah. And, and the children of the sun, the other one is um, man and woman back to back. Yes. They um, got really to the point where they, uh, the human race got so arrogant and were, were expanding that they had to sort of do a reset. So all the gods got together and said, what should we do? Should we just kill them? And Zeus said, I'll cut them up into little lizards like I did with the dinosaurs. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, then one of the gods said, like, no, 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 let's um, split them down the middle and, and uh, put the wound around to the, the belly button instead of always yeah. have a reminder. But yep. in that, we'll always be looking for our other half. And so I've always found that idea of the origin of love after hearing that. It's not necessarily, you know, love necessarily being another person. It also could be your other half being other half of you within yourself. Yes. Or yes. majority of that, you're constantly trying to find whether or not it was male or female, whether or not, you know, uh, it, it matters really yep. in that. And even in the reflection of... Um, seeing this in the film i'm also not one to sort of go around and just say because they're the murderer they are a bad person yeah um, yeah yeah obviously that that has a lot of ways to be picked apart that sentence but in this <laughs> case especially that's why i was saying you can see the justification for why at the sexual nature of a camp alone where you, you it's all about coming of age and, and, yeah. and exploring that and the, the scariness of that because you're having to be intimate and trusting with someone you don't really know and it's another first for the first time. Yeah. So that then, yeah, exactly. You have her situation where she's not allowed to reveal any of this, an eccentric mother who has most likely been putting her on hormones yes. as well. Yes. So that yes. like uh, against her will at this point, whether or not she had conscious mind to turn around and say, I don't want to be blah, um, yeah. you're a, a, a parent and thus it's your responsibility to give them the most uh, better, best outcome for the world in there. Yeah. And that's not saying whether or not raising them as any gender specific, whatever, but any outcome that you can, that's going to benefit their life. Um, so yeah, I, I, I thought it was great. I think that nowadays probably it would get more light. It, it's going to get more Twitter hate because we have Twitter. Yeah. Like, if, yeah. Everyone had their own printing press. Yeah. Back when it came out, we would, we would have that if everyone yeah. had their own design that was broadcast, but in the broader schemes of what it could actually be said, I mean, it, it exists out there and it's on YouTube, which is great. Yeah. Um, which is surprising again because of the frontal stuff. But yeah, I would be very interested to hear about uh, from those communities that yeah. what they would be thinking about it if, if it's something that they thought communicated I, 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 a, a yeah. perspective or something that maybe people don't, um, subject matter that people don't want to hear or, or don't want to yeah. speak about. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I'm the same ilk. That's exactly where I kind of came out with it because I, I did. I, I often think that it was like when we were talking um, about Big Trouble in Little China with um, with Ant, and I kind of asked it because he he is um, um, of Asian uh, orientation. Um, <laughs> I uh, kind of asked him about the depiction of Chinese, oops, sorry, of Chinese people in on film because you know there are moments on it you go, is that Western cultural uh, depiction of uh, an, uh, how an Asian person would be on film, or is that generally? Do you think that is depicting them? And he's like, no, it generally like because particularly with like all the um, uh, the martial arts kind of representation of it, he he kind of was mm. like, well, that's that's what martial arts should look like, and he'd been he'd grown up with it, and he was like, that's the first Western film where he was like, they actually got it right. Um, mm. So things like that, he was like, yeah. So, but yeah. it's the same kind of thing yeah. here, you know, with um, you know, with the transgender thing. It makes me question, like, well, is that fairly representing somebody like that, or does you know? And I don't, I don't fit into that category, so I can't answer that question. But it makes me, I no. want to want to search for the validity of it, you know. 
So, yeah, yeah, no, but, but it also is too opinion. I mean, um, yeah, uh, in terms of it, like I, it said certain things to me, which um, I'm choosing to use in a positive light too. Yes, um, but I, I remember I was on film set the other day, and um, uh, one of the I heard one of the other actors in the background was talking to somebody else, and it was, um, uh, I think he was Jamaican, um, uh, and he said, "Oh, you think uh, you don't think that." Um, Blazing Saddles is a racist film. Ah, oh, yeah. And the other guy was like, oh, and, and instantly I was like, that guy's probably just been asked what's his favorite funny movie or something like this. Or they're talking yeah, about funny yeah. movies. Oh, this is such a such. But I watched it again recently um, and it was co-written with Richard Pryor. Uh, and he was originally going to be um, in the lead of that. But yeah. again, I, I watched it and I was like, I, I don't see that as a racist film because I see that it's making fun of racism. Yeah. Just because they're using the language they're trying to use that as the weapon of seeing how stupid it is by the old woman who's all sweet and nice says, gives the pie, but still says like, you know, Oh yeah. yeah. And you'll be polite enough to say we didn't speak. You know, <laughs> you know it's, it's a comedy yeah. making fun of all of that. Um, yeah. And yeah, in, in that regards too, that's why I think that everyone's opinion is, is an interesting thing. To yeah. Hear because it, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And as long as it means that it, the books aren't burnt, like, you know, as in, if this film can still be available, because there's a lot of archives that sort of do get deleted because they, no one watches them. And, yeah. and if a film like this, like, you know, got deleted, I think a lot of people would be upset, uh, not only because of the people who were in it, but because of, it's something that I told my sister to see. I, I told a whole <laughs> bunch of kids that um, I was teaching the other day. I was just like, it's a lot of fun. There was yeah. twice when I was watching it that I, th I thought to myself, this might be the favorite, my favorite film I've seen in 2020. Oh, wow. Um, wow. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Just because I enjoyed, I really enjoyed it so much. Yeah, and then cool. that ending, leaving it where it was too, I was just like, yeah, I'm, it, it, I really enjoyed it. Nice. Oh, well, next, well, you just kind of jumped to the uh, answer to my, ne my next question. Is like yeah. what, what, what your thoughts were of the film, having come to watch it for the first time. And again, like, again, I don't mean to keep kind of talking about my interview with Lisa, but I, I did pose the question about what she would think a modern audience would make of it. And she was saying actually a lot of the people that come to these conventions are a lot younger and they're discovering this film for the first time. So it, it does feel like one of those films that does keep giving in that respect. Mm. And um, your response to that seems to e echo that exactly. <laughs> did uh, did your sister say whether she enjoyed it or is she yet to see she it? She hasn't seen it yet. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, she hasn't had the time. But um, yeah, no, but I'm very keen because we usually break down things. Um, I think we were talking just before the podcast about Labyrinth and I was picking yeah. her brain about that and stuff. Um, but yeah, cool. Yeah, just because um, she put me onto Hedwig at the Angry Inch and we all watched, oh, um, nice. you know, Rocky Horror and stuff like that as a kid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And again, she was also studying psychology for a while there and um, oh, nice uh, yeah. as a, uh, what was it, um, funeral director, like, you know, in the mortuary sciences and stuff like that too. So, oh. um, oh, that's where partially I get a lot of my interest in the eclectic things I'll, I'll get a question or or we'll talk about something and, and i'll go well i don't know the answer rather than just leaving it at i don't know let's see if yeah, anybody yeah. else had a look and now because the internet i mean that's what's so great oh, i see, mean that's the thing I, i'm i'm terrible at that like i'd be sitting there watching something with my wife and something will come up in it and i go oh one uh, what's that and i'll i'll grab the computer there and i'll open it up and start typing away and, and my wife's like why aren't you just watching the film? I was like, well, yeah. I, I, I genuinely want to know about this thing. I'm like, I'm, I'm intrigued. And I'm, a, I'm like, I'm terrible. I, I want to learn more about stuff. And if something that comes across that I'm not aware of, I'm like, well, I, I want to know what that is. And like you said, yeah. that's there. All right. So 
Um, all right, so Sleepaway Camp, you're a big fan. You said a uh, big quote from you. I'm going to put it out there. You're saying best film of 2020. That's a big, bold statement. Yeah. Um, the best film I'd seen in 2020. I haven't seen every film that's been made this I, year. I beg your pardon. So yes. far, every film that I've seen, absolutely, yeah. Um, well, that's still a big, bold statement in itself. So I'm guessing from that you would recommend it to a modern-going audience or somebody who hasn't seen it before? With the proviso, obviously, it's a slasher flick. Like, yeah. you know, as in, uh, it, it's a horror. Like, you know, and yeah, it's yeah. made in the 80s. I think 80, those 83, are the only yeah. things you go, this will let you know what you're going to see because some films, cool. you know, you do want to go into it going at least... Sleepaway Camp, though, tells you everything. <laughs> yes. Well, look, here's the thing. Like, so... Um, People, the character, I'm, I'm going to end it on this note, um, the character Angela Baker um, certainly entered the, the forefront of a lot of horror lovers' uh, minds and has become an icon. The character has become an icon um, ever since. And uh, so much so that, uh, you know, as we said, spawned a few more um, follow-up films for good or ill, and uh, which led to... Um, a lot of people kind of wondering whether Felissa Rose would ever reprise the role. And it's something that she definitely said she would like to do because she doesn't feel like Angela's story has been fully, completely told yet. Mm. Um, but it remains to be seen whether or not that can happen. Will we get a revival of this? Like we're talking about it now. Um, mm. Could it potentially be something like in like a couple of years time when it gets a big, with the big 4-0 uh, coming around in, 2023 like will we get another angela reprisal? or who knows um yeah but until then we're not able to fit to that lore as well of the previous exactly films. yeah and that's always a hard thing to live up to when you've got something like that too so it'd be interesting but look that we've put it out there um saw Murte speaking as the lead surgeon joined by richard lovegrove which with my big thanks to him and joining me with that discussion today on steve way camp and we're putting out there that it is a movie that you should go and see um, uh, if you haven't seen it already. Um, and I, I, I reckon there's a just cause for it to have that cult status that's been attached to it for sure. Um, but let us know your thoughts. Are you, were you a fan? Did you see it when it first came out in 1983 and you've had a love of it ever since? Are you yet to discover it? Or if you have seen it like Mr. Lovegrave has just recently and and can't praise it enough let us know your thoughts uh, on the usual social platforms until then as i said i'm your host Sonwerte. thanks for joining me and thanks again mr lovegrove john Lemon. um <laughs> angela rocky oh billy <laughs> you're listening to the surgeons of horror podcast Music supplied by Peter Nezik. For more discussions or podcasts, head over to surgeonsofhorror.com or head over to our Facebook and Twitter sites for the latest news and updates.